Good to see each and every one of you out tonight, man. It's good to be back with you tonight for our Wednesday night Bible study. Um, we had a fantastic trip last week as we were on the mission field in Costa Rica, and the Lord blessed, and uh, so excited about what the Lord did there and what He's going to continue to do, and um, that was always, always good to, to be able to go on that when the Lord opens the door, and, uh, but I'm glad to be back tonight, man, glad to be back home with you, and I'm thankful this evening that you've made the study of the Word of God a priority in your life. I do want to thank Brother Nathan for filling in for me last week. I know that you were blessed by him, um, and tonight we get to start a brand new chapter in the Word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. I am not going to sing for you this evening. We're going to dive right into the lesson. Uh, Brother Scotty is, is off under the weather tonight, him and Heather, so please pray for them that they will, uh, will get to feeling better. But um, if you have your Bibles tonight, please turn them with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. And what I want to do tonight is just read, I'm going to read straight through it. It's just 13 verses. Lord willing, we're going to finish with chapter number 8, and then we'll come back after, uh, after we read through it together, and I'll unpack this as far as we can. Let's start with verse number 1. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. I love how Paul puts that. He says, if you really think you've got everything figured out, that's just evidence that you don't have near as much figured out as what you think you do. It's been my experience. The more I study, the more I figure out I don't know. And so what he says in verse number two is absolutely true. None of us have reached the point where we don't still have growing room. We're all still growing in the knowledge that the Lord wants to give us. And Paul makes that clear to us in these first two verses. Let's go to verse number three. He says, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. And concerning, therefore, the calling of those things that are offered in sacrifice, or the eating of those things which are offered in sacrifice and idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. If you believe that tonight, say amen. Just one God. Just one God that we can trust in. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible, has revealed himself to us in the person of the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 5. For though there be... <clears throat> That are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, um, as there be gods many and lords many. But to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat or are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. So he says it's not really about what we eat when it comes to our service to the Lord and our relationship to Him and our relationship to others. It's not about what we eat and what we don't eat. And that's very important that we see that as we go forward. Look what else he says. I love this. Verse number nine, but take, or excuse me, verse number eight, but meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we don't eat we're, we're the worse. But take hold, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, and shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And though by thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin, so against the brethren, 
and would their weak conscience you sin against Christ. Therefore, or wherefore, if meat make any brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Let's pray together before we get started. Father, we love you. We're thankful, Father, for who you are, for what you've done. Lord, I'm so thankful tonight um, that you have saved us by grace. Lord, you've shown us mercy, love, and forgiveness that comes freely through the cross. I'm thankful this evening that you've given us liberty in you, Christ Jesus, to live in a way that's pleasing unto you and helps others. Father, we're praying tonight that you give us clear direction from your word as to what Christian liberty actually means. That, Lord, you would give us just exactly what you say. Speak to our hearts. We need not hear my words this evening, Lord. But I'm praying that you move me out of the way and you speak to me, speak through me, your words to your people. I want to be your mouthpiece. I'm asking, Lord, that you fill me up and pour me out, that you use me for your honor and your glory, for you alone are worthy of our praise. God, we need you tonight. We can do nothing without you tonight. And, Lord, I'm thankful that you've promised you never leave nor forsake us, but you're always with us. And, Lord, we're trusting in that this evening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, before we get into this, I want to review just a moment on why Paul wrote certain things in the book of 1 Corinthians. First and foremost, we know Paul wrote a lot of the things he wrote in the first letter to Corinthians um, because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. We know, according to what the Bible tells us in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So we know the Bible itself is God-breathed. We know it's Holy Spirit inspired and written down by men. Folks, I want to tell you something. I've been a student of the Word of God now for over 20 years, and I can tell you this. I believe more today that the Bible is the absolute truth of God's Word. I believe it more today than when I started. I believe God's Word to be His absolute truth to us found in all 66 books of the Bible. I believe it. And you can believe it, and you should believe it. We can take this truth and build our lives upon it, and it's important that we do so. So first and foremost, Paul writes what he writes in all of the books that he wrote in the New Testament under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's God giving us what we need to live in a way that's pleasing unto him, to know who he is, to know who we are, and to know what he's done for us in the person of Christ. All of that is found uh, for us right here in God's Word. So that's the first reason. But the second reason that Paul writes what he writes, especially here in chapter number 8, is that Paul, when he went to the church at Corinth, or when he went to Corinth, he spent 18 months there preaching in the city. And as Paul preached in the city, several new believers came to faith in Christ. The church was started, but after a time, the Holy Spirit led Paul to go on about his missionary journey, and he left Corinth to preach the gospel in other places. Now, when Paul left, he kept in contact with the church, and the church kept in contact with him. And we've said since the beginning of 1 Corinthians, when we started this, that many of the things that Paul addresses in the letter um, are questions that were asked to him from the church. One of the questions that we know that was asked to the Apostle Paul was the question concerning marriage. And so Paul spent in chapter 7 a whole chapter discussing what marriage is supposed to be about in the life of every believer. And we, looked at, we spent three weeks looking at that. Uh, and, and so um, 
That was just one of the questions. Now the question that's being addressed here that was asked to the Apostle Paul from the church is whether or not it was okay for believers in that day, Christ's followers in that day, was it all right for them to eat meat that was offered in idol worship? And so Paul deals with that in chapter number 8. Now, I'm glad that he deals with it because it's relevant for us today. It speaks to right where we live. You say, no, brothers, what do you mean? I haven't been offered meat that's been sacrificed to idols daily. Now, that's true for me too. And I, I'm going to venture out on a limb and say that you probably had not been offered any meat that's been sacrificed in the worship of idols either. But that's really not the principle that's being taught. When you get down to where the rubber meets the road, the question that is being answered and the principle that Paul is giving us is the principle and the question of Christian liberty. What we should do and what we shouldn't do as believers, as Christ followers. Because like we've said before, there are a lot of things in the Word of God that are black and white. I mean, you, there's no question about it. God lays it out uh, plain on the page what we should do and what we shouldn't do. But there's some things um, as far as the liberty we have in Christ, the things we should do and we shouldn't do, that maybe there are some gray areas. And that just, just happens to be one of the gray areas that affected the church at Corinth. So this truth, this principle that Paul preaches here in chapter 8 applies to us each and every day because we deal with these things each and every day. What we should do, what we shouldn't do, and the liberty that we have in Christ. For instance, I remember just a few weeks ago, a lady come to me and she said, Pastor, I want to know, do you think it's okay for me and my family to go to a movie theater and watch a specific movie? That was a question of Christian liberty. When I was just a little boy, I had a pastor once upon a time who thought it was wrong for him to have a television set in his house. That was a question of Christian liberty, and he never had a television set, never, never allowed one to be in his home. That was his liberty to not do what some do. Um, I have people come to me, pastors, do you think it's okay for a Christian to get a tattoo? I've had that question many times. That's a question of Christian liberty. Um, I read something just the other day by Dr. J. Vernon McGee speaking on Christian liberty that I thought was very fitting. He said that a lady one time came to his church in Los Angeles, California when he was pastoring there in the late 60s. And she asked him, she said, Dr. McGee, do you think it's a sin for a woman to wear makeup? And so she was asking a question concerning Christian liberty. Was, was she within her rights as a born-again believer, as a woman, to wear makeup? Is it sinful to do so? And Dr. McGee says it in a way like only he could say it. He said, Sister, I think it's a sin for some women not to wear makeup. And so we, we all have differing, we all have differing, differing opinions on what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And Paul deals with that here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. And man, we need to take a good long look at it tonight because it'll help us in how we live day by day. What he gives us is clear, concise, practical wisdom straight from God's word that will help us make the most God-honoring decision in our Christian walk with our Christian brothers. That's what he's talking about. Now, the main theme, the key theme that I see in 1 Corinthians chapter number 8 is that believers must live according to knowledge and knowledge must be balanced by love. Believers must live according to knowledge and knowledge must be balanced by love. 
There's three key words here we're going to look at. Look at knowledge, love, and conscience because that's what Paul deals with in these verses. Let's look at verses one and two, what he says concerning knowledge here. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. So Paul says, we all have certain knowledge and that knowledge will dictate the decisions and choices that we make. Now, before I go any further, I want to make this extremely clear to you. The knowledge that we base our decisions upon must find its foundation in the Word of God. Let me tell you why I say that. Because when I was a young Christian, when I was um, early in the faith, growing in the Lord, um, and I'm still growing in the Lord, can you say amen? And you're still growing in the Lord. And none of us have arrived, and as long as we've got breath in our lungs, God still wants us to grow, to become more like Christ Jesus while we walk in this world. Can you say amen to that? So none of us have arrived. We're all, we've all still got growing room. Whether you're standing in a pulpit or sitting in a pew, no matter who you are, we all have room to grow. But when I remember when I was a young Christian and just, just starting out in the faith, I put a whole lot of stock in what men said. A whole lot of stock. And sometimes that was good, but sometimes that was bad. And I can remember thinking certain things like, well, brother so-and-so said this, or sister so-and-so said that. And, and, I, and I put a whole lot of weight or, or in, in what brothers and sisters in Christ told me. Let me give you, for instance, one time I was really struggling early in my walk with the Lord, going through some things, um, just going through some tough times. And I remember a dear brother in Christ said something to me. Um, and I don't think he, he didn't say this to hurt me. He didn't say this to, uh, to in any way um, keep me from being what the Lord wanted me to be or to cause doubt and discouragement anyway. It wasn't anything like that. I think he just said it to me because somebody had said it to him. And he said this. He said, the, the Bible says that God will never put more on you than what you can bear. And I thought, man, that sounds really good. There's only one problem with that. That is not in the Word of God. Anywhere. Now, the Bible does say some specific things. We'll look at it in just a few weeks in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians 10, it says that when we are facing temptation, that God is faithful to make a way of escape. It says that. The Bible does say in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 that we ought to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt us in due time that we can cast all our cares upon Him for He cares for us. But that's really saying the opposite. When the cares get too heavy for us to carry, the Bible commands us to cast them on the Lord. If it were true that God never puts more on us than what we can bear, then we wouldn't need the power of God for anything. If it were true that God never puts more on us than we could bear, I'm going to tell you something. Um, then I couldn't pastor this church. I couldn't preach the message. Because that's more of what I'm capable of in my power, in my ability. I couldn't be a husband. Because it takes the power of God, the Holy Spirit, 
to help me to love my wife as Christ loved the church. If God never put more on me than I could bear, then I couldn't be a father. Because parenting is tough. And I struggle sometimes in giving the wisdom and advice I need to give to my kids. I need God's power. I need God's work. I need God's ministry to me daily in my life to be and do what God has saved me to be and do. If God never put more on me than I was able to bear, I certainly couldn't witness. Because I'm going to tell you something, folks. It takes the work of God, the power of God and the person of the Holy Spirit working on us, in us, and through us to accomplish his good will and purpose. Now, even though that brother meant well, that wasn't in Scripture. And so I learned, hey, you better take time to dig deep into the Word of God yourself and find out what God actually says. Have you ever heard this? God's Word says that God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that? Now, that sounds really good, but that's not in Scripture. The truth is, God helps those who can't help themselves. The Bible says that we who were once dead in trespasses and sins, hath God quickened or made alive. Now it's certainly true that the Bible commands us that he who don't work, don't eat. But we can't read too much into that. God by his grace does for us what we can't do. How many of you know those who are dead in trespasses, dead men can do nothing. We can't make ourselves right with God. We can't help ourselves enough and pull ourselves up by the bootstraps enough to make ourselves acceptable unto God who is perfect, righteous, and holy. We need God's grace. We need His help because I can't do enough. Amen? I'm just saying, we've got to make sure that what we believe, the knowledge we have, finds its foundation in the Word of God because it's, it's because of that knowledge that directs the conduct of our lives. Let me give you a very powerful verse of Scripture, one of my favorite. Psalms 119, 105. The Bible says that the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. How many of you would agree with me tonight that we live in a very dark world? And it seems to be getting darker by the day by the hour, by the minute. And the only way, the only way that we're ever going to make right decisions and navigate through this world that is, that is very dark is that if we have the light of God's precious, powerful word. It is a lamp unto our feet. Shows us which way to go in a very dark place. It is a light unto our path. So what we believe, the knowledge we have, must find its foundation in God's precious word. I'm not against what brother so-and-so said or sister so-and-so said or your mama said or your uncle said or, or your pastor years ago. I'm not against any of that as long as what they say lines up with God's precious, powerful word. That's why I keep telling you, bring your Bibles to church. Amen? Check me out. Make sure what I'm telling you is coming from the pages of Scripture. Make sure what I'm giving you is the truth of the Word of God. And if you, don't, if you see something, if you have questions, man, ask me about it. Let's talk about it. I love talking about it. God's Word 
must be the foundation of the knowledge we have. For, listen, our behavior is governed by the knowledge we have. <laughs> and then he says something. He says that the knowledge that we have, if we're not careful, listen to me now, when it comes to these differing views on what we should do and what we shouldn't do as far as Christian liberty goes, it can cause us to get puffed up if we're not careful. Let me give you just a little bit of what's happening here, all right? In Corinth during that time, as we've said since we began the study of the book of 1 Corinthians, the culture in Corinth was very pagan. They had several pagan temples all over the city. And one of the things that those pagan religions was, would do was continually sacrifice animals under these false gods. And a way that they used to raise money, they would take the meat that had been offered to those idols and sell them at the temple meat market. Most Bible commentators that I've read says that there were two meat markets in Corinth at that time, the regular meat market and the temple meat market. Now, the regular meat market was a whole lot higher than the temple meat market because, again, these um, they weren't really in the meat business. They were in the worship of false gods business. <laughs> so, so all that they were doing were just using the meat that they had to sell and make a little extra money. Now, a lot of these Christians that had trusted in Jesus and been born again into the family of God, they said, you know what? That meat, as long as we give thanks for it, is, it's meat that God created. And it was offered to false gods, so it really don't mean anything. I'm going to save on some good barbecue and go down to the temple meat market and pick me up a filet mignon, bring it back to the house and cook it up for my family, and it's no big deal. Paul calls them, and I want to use his terminology, Paul calls them those who are strong in the faith. Not only here in 1 Corinthians, but also in the book of Romans 14, you'll see the same thing. He, he calls them those that have a strong faith. But then there's another crowd, and he calls those, them those who are weaker in the faith, who hadn't grown um, to that level yet in the faith. And, and what they were saying, the, the ones whom he calls weaker in the faith, was that, hey, we've been saved out of these pagan religions. And I can't believe anybody who claims the name of Jesus would want anything to do with this meat offered to idols. So there was a contention between the two groups. There was a division between the two groups. Now, this is the thing, though. When I look at the argument of whom, of the group that Paul calls those stronger in the faith, I got to say that makes sense to me. I think they've got a logical, reasonable argument, don't you? Because this is their argument. They're saying, well, you know what? Um, this meat that's been offered, first of all, it was the best animal they could find because they're offering it to their God. This is really good meat, probably better quality than what I'm going to get at the other meat market at a much cheaper price. And this meat has been offered to false gods, and I stress the word false. Therefore, if the gods are false and they have no power, they're not real, then they can't contaminate the meat. And if they can't contaminate the meat, 
I'm just going to enjoy some good barbecue. That's what they're saying. Does that seem right to you? Does me too. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. The only problem was they got puffed up in their argument and they began using their logic and reason as a club to hit the other brothers over the head with. And that's very easy to do. They may have won the argument, but they were losing a brother. Argument was good. Their reasoning, their logic was right on point. But it wasn't helping their relationship with their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's where the true test is. And we'll see that in just a moment. Let, let, me, let me say this. And this is just from, you know, my own growth in the Lord and my own personal experience. Logic and reason will not always convince someone that you are right. Especially if they have strong feelings the other way. It won't. Let me see if I can illustrate it for you just a minute. I heard a story one time about this little boy who was a little bit scared of the dark, scared to sleep by himself. And he lived in the upstairs bedroom of his home, and his mom and dad lived in the downstairs bedroom of his home. At about 10, 30, 11 o'clock one night, he calls out and says, Mama, Mama, Mama. So finally his mother answers. She says, Son, what's going on? What's wrong? Hollers from downstairs. He says, Mama, I'm scared up here. I don't want to sleep by myself. I want to come down and sleep with you and Daddy. And she said, Son, there's no point in you coming down here. Nothing's going to happen to you. You have absolutely nothing to worry about. We've checked every door. We've checked every window. All of it's locked up. We've got a, sec a, a security system. So we're going to know if anything gets opened. A and furthermore... Before anybody can come into this house and get to you upstairs, they got to go through your daddy downstairs. So I promise you, nobody is going to cause you any harm. And son, always remember, you're not up there alone. Jesus is with you. Now go to sleep, and I'll see you in the morning. So it rocks on five, ten minutes. Mama. 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 She said, son, what do you need now? He said, mama, please, I'm so scared. I want to come down and sleep with you and daddy. And she's, now let me ask you something. Did she have a logical argument? Reasonably, did it make sense? <laughs> sure it did. He calls out again, mama, mama, what do you need, son? Mama, please let me come down and sleep with you and dad. And she said, boy, I've already told you one time now, go to sleep. You're not alone up there. Jesus is with you. And he said, Mama, why don't you come up here and sleep with Jesus and I want to come down there and sleep with Daddy. <laughs> even, <laughs> even though her, her argument was logical, it was reasonable, because he had strong feelings on the subject, that didn't make a whole lot of difference, did it? And the same thing happens a lot of times with things we feel strongly about. But our main goal is not to get puffed up and use our logic and reason as a club to beat somebody over the head with and get puffed up about. Our main goal is to walk in love, which brings me to my next point. I love verses 3 through 6 
Watch what Paul says here. But if any man love God, because that's the real test, isn't it? It is our love for God and our love for others that should direct our conduct. Our love for God and our love for others. Our knowledge must be balanced by love. Amen? It has to be. Paul says it over and over again all throughout his writings. If you will, please, put Exodus, or excuse me, not Exodus, but Ephesians 4.15 um, out in the margin by, um, by uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 8, verses 3 through 6, because it's very good commentary on what Paul is talking about here. In Ephesians 4.15, he says truth, um, that we must speak the truth, but the truth must be spoken in what? In love. The truth must be spoken in love with an attitude of love. And if we don't do that, we can sometimes cause more harm than good. I hope and pray that I've grown a little bit in this, but I can remember years ago my wife would tell me a lot. Y'all know how I can get sometimes. I would get done preaching the message and Brandy would say, Honey, is this like you was mad today? Please do not, please do not mistake passion for anger. I'm very passionate about the Word of God because first and foremost, I know it's what God's given me to preach. I'm very passionate about the Word of God because I know the difference it's made in my life. I truly believe it is God's absolute truth for us. Now, if I'm not passionate about it, you don't need me. If I don't passionately speak the word of God to you, go find you somebody who will. Amen. However, I have learned that a lot of times it's not what you say, but how you say it. And that goes for everything we do. In every discussion we have, what we speak, we must speak in love. The knowledge that we have, which is based upon the Word of God, must be balanced by love. Write this down. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is compromise. Now, I don't want to just spit truth and be brutal about it, right? Right? Because that ain't going to help anybody. Matter of fact, uh, you'll, it, it, what, what, what will happen is what the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I can't wait till we get there. But it says, even though we may speak with the tongue of men or angels, if we do it without love, we become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. You ever heard a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal? A sounding brass out of tune or a tinkling cymbal played at the wrong time? It can cause more harm to the song than it can cause any good. <laughs> it really can. And that's what happens when we speak truth, but we don't do it in love. I went to a revival service about two years ago. I actually preached in one of the services, and then um, it was a men's conference, so I think we had uh, three separate speakers that night. And I'm just going to be honest with you. One of the brothers that was there, 
um, what he was saying was truth. No doubt about it. But it was spoken with such arrogance that I couldn't hardly listen to it. You ever been there? And it just turned me off from the whole thing. Folks, listen to me. When we speak the truth of the word of God, it must be done in love. Has to be. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is compromise. Listen to what Dr. Warren Wiersbe says on this subject. Knowledge, knowledge must be mixed with love or else we will get big heads instead of enlarged hearts. That is so good. If we're going to properly grow as the people of God, our knowledge, which finds its foundation in the Word of God, must be balanced by love or else we're going to get the big head instead of the big heart. And we're going to miss the whole point. So Paul says, first of all, you've got to have knowledge that finds its foundation in God's truth if you're going to make right decisions as far as Christian liberty goes. And you've got to operate in love, loving God and loving others, which will direct your conduct. You've got to do that. But then he says something else. He says, whatever we do, we must do it with good conscience. Let's look at verse number four. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice and sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one God. For though there be that, uh, that are called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there be gods of, and many, many gods and many lords, and really what Paul is saying is that's hogwash. I know a lot of people say there's a lot of gods and a lot of people say there's a lot of lords, but we know there's one God that's the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and there's one Lord, and that's Jesus Christ. That's what we know. So we've got that knowledge based upon truth, the foundation of God's Word. But to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in Him, and the Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things, and we by Him. Look at verse 7. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. Not everybody knows this. Maybe they've just been saved. Maybe they've just come out of those pagan religions. And they don't know what this truth that is commonly known among believers who've been saved a while, who's had a little bit of time to grow. Maybe they don't know. So he says, For some with conscience of the idol under this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak, is defiled. Now the word conscience there just means to know with. That's, that's what the word means. Okay, And it's used about 32 times all throughout the New Testament. Our conscience is the internal court where our actions are either approved or condemned. Isn't that right? Some things, you know what? Maybe you have a logical, reasonable argument that you say, hey, this is why I'm able to do what I do, and I believe I'm within my Christian liberty to do so. But for me, that may hurt my conscience. And as it passes through that internal court that all of us have, it's not approved but condemned. Now, 
I may have something in my life that I say, you know what? According to what I believe my Christian liberty allows me to do, I'm going to do this thing. But you may think that hurts my conscience. And when it passes through my court on the inside, it's not approved but condemned. Now, what do we have to do? Well, me and you, as brothers and sisters in Christ, have to offer some grace both ways. Are you getting me? Again, I'm not talking about what's black and white. There's a lot of things in the Word of God, black and white. We know what we should do. We know what we shouldn't do. We know what God's Word says. This is one of those areas, when it comes to the eating the meat, just like other areas in our life, where, hey, it may be good logical arguments, but when I speak them, I got to speak them in love and show a little grace to those I'm speaking to. And when you give your argument back to me, you show a little grace to the one you're speaking to. Let me give you a good verse for that. It comes from the book of Colossians. Chapter number four and verse number six. Watch what the Bible says here. Let your speech be always with grace. Isn't that good? Seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Always speak with grace. But let your speech be seasoned with salt. What does salt do? Salt purifies. Does it not? We are to give truth in our speech that will help people become more like Christ. However, when we give that speech, we do it in grace and love. Salt not only purifies, but salt also irritates. <laughs> sometimes when people give truth, it irritates my life. And sometimes when people give truth to you, it can irritate your life because God, the Holy Spirit, uses that to convict you into something you need to be doing or don't need to be doing. Right? But however we speak it, whenever we speak it, we must speak it in love and grace. It's got to be gracious when we give it. And if not, it'll be received in the wrong way. That's what Paul's talking about. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I love verse number 8. But meat commendeth us not to God. Paul said, it isn't the ones who are eating meat that that just means they're closer to God or the ones that's not eating meat that they're closer to God because the kingdom of God is not about meat or drink. But like Romans 14 says, righteousness, peace, Enjoying the Holy Ghost. Can you say amen? <laughs> That's what it's about. He says, But me commend us not to God, for whether if we eat, or are we the better? Neither if we eat not, are we the worse? But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. He said, The main goal in all of this is I don't cause anybody else to stumble. That means if I go and get the filet mignon from the temple meat market and 
it offend Shane? I'd rather throw the filet mignon in the garbage than I had offend Shane, who is my brother. Because I'm not controlled by the knowledge I have, but the knowledge I have is balanced by love. Amen. And I care more about loving a brother than eating the meat or whatever else we're talking about. Are you getting this? Let's go on. Watch what else he says. Verse number 10. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? So really what Paul is saying is, let the weaker brother... Let his conscience catch up, okay? And let God do that work. If you know it offends him, then don't be doing it. Because the main thing is we cause nobody to stumble. And he says in verse 11, And though and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you sin, so against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. So what he's saying is, we don't need to do anything. Anything. If it's questionable, don't do it. Because we don't want to do anything that would cause the weaker brother to stumble and falter in their walk with Jesus. Does that make sense to you? Are we, do we have liberty in Christ? Do we? Absolutely. It's not about eating meat and not eating meat. It's about loving God and loving others and helping our brothers and sisters grow in the Lord and not stumble at things that they wonder about. Anybody got any comments or questions? Where should our knowledge find its foundation? In the Word of God. Amen. In the Word of God. Oh, folks. Get in the Word of God. See what it has for you. Take that Word of God and apply that truth to your life. And I can promise you, I can promise you, you won't regret it. You won't regret it. Now, the knowledge that we have must be balanced by what? By love. Because truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is compromise. We don't want to be brutal. And we don't want to compromise what we know to be real and right and true. We want to use both, truth and love, to be pleasing unto Christ. Anything else? 